دایی یه فرصت خوب حالا پشت مدافع خدا داد عزیزی توی دروازه گل گل برای ایران خدا داد عزیزی خاطر روی زمین گشت سردار آسمون به توی دروازه سردار آسمون گل به نام آسمون به برای ایران بزنه کریم اصلی فر Welcome back to Global Podcast. My name is Arja Alaverdi. In today's episode, we have interviews of experts from Iran's Asia Cup opponents in Group C. For the UAE, we have John McCauley from the National Newspaper in the UAE. For Hong Kong, we've got Tobias Susser from Offside.hk. And lastly, from Palestine, we've got Basil Mikdadi from FootballPalestine.com. Sure to check out our last episode as well, where our panel spoke about everything regarding the national team and Iran's perspective of Group C. Be sure to leave a like, rating and subscribe to us on YouTube and all other podcast platforms. Our social media is at Golbazan and hopefully enjoy the episode. Right, I'm joined by John McCauley from the National Newspaper in the UAE. We had you on before. John, how are you doing, my friend? Yeah, very well, Arya. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good to have you back on. Uh, John, just speak to us about yourself and the work that you do uh, in the UAE for the national. Yeah, the national, the, the main focus would be the UAE national team or UAE football in general, to be honest. But as you can imagine, a lot of stuff happening in the past year, past two years with the national team. So um, the main focus would be that, as I said, and, and just following the trials and tribulations of of the whites and um their failed attempt to get to the last World Cup, which was unfortunate for everybody here. And and there's been quite a lot of uh, change and unpredictability with, with the national team at the minute. So, um, yeah, really things kicking back into action after the, the Asian Cup draw. But as I said, I would concentrate mostly on that and then dip into a few other sports as well for the national. Great stuff. I appreciate that. Um, John, let's speak about the UAE national team then. So since we last played you guys in the qualifiers, um, what's changed? What are the what updates regarding the national team? It's probably easier to say what hasn't changed, <laughs> to be honest. They're in quite a state of flux at the minute, um, in truth, because I'm not too sure how aware you are, but uh, just the day of the draw, actually, I was over at the draw in Doha uh, about 10 days ago. Uh, news filtered through that the the president of the football association was resigning, which was later confirmed the next day. So there's a huge change there at the very top level of of the national team, which is obviously going to filter down to to the national team itself, um, the top of the federation, I should say. So, um, yeah, the the board we, we've got a temporary board in place at the moment. And the knock-on effect of that, even though that this decision had already been taken, is that the UAE will be looking for or are looking for a new manager. Uh, Rodolfo Arruabarena is not staying on. He He's left. His contract was initially to run through until the, the Asian Cup. And obviously, we all thought that was going to be this July. But now that the tournament's been pushed back, rescheduled, we've got a new slot for it at the start of the year instead of the summer. The, the FA decided that they would not continue with Rodolfo and Rodolfo. It was very amicable, um, to be honest. So uh, 
they they both agreed to part company <coughs> excuse me and then um yeah it's it's been a pretty manic last week with with we got a temporary board in place there's obviously regulations and and different procedures that need to be gone through for for a new board to to, to come into fruition and, and to have a, a new president ahead of that so as i said it's it's probably easier to say to you what's not changed but it, it's two pretty seismic events in in uae football whenever you're looking at the national team especially with this asian cup that's going to come around very quickly yeah and you know uae's you know always been one of the, the top sides in, in asia when you look at after like south korea japan iran etc australia they've been one of the top sides um up there with qatar and all that um we played them in qualification, beat them twice, uh, 1-0 uh, away and, and at home. Um, what are now the kind of kind of thoughts with this group then, Group C with Iran, with uh, Hong Kong, Palestine? What, what's, what, what, what's going into this tournament? What do you think the plan, plan is for this national team? Well, as I said, it's, it's, it's quite difficult at the moment to say what, what are the, the targets or the objectives for it, just purely because there's so much uncertainty around the national team at the minute. But if you just look at the draw, you would obviously say Iran would, would be favourites in that group. And then you, you look at Palestine as going off for the UAE, a, a pretty difficult test as well. The UAE have played them twice recently and, and struggled against Palestine. And Palestine will most certainly be motivated for that match. That goes without saying. And they tend to do well against the other Arab teams. So it's not an easy group. And speaking to people at the FA, they understand that that it's not a straightforward group at all. You know, as I said, I know Iran have obviously, perhaps they've got a, a new generation of players that they're looking to integrate as well, and and obviously the the new manager there. So there's there's maybe perhaps a little bit of uncertainty around them. You you would know much more than me on that, but you would still say they would be the front runners, and then the UAE are going to look to to try and get that second spot, I would imagine, and and you're vying against Palestine and. Hong Kong can't be taken lightly either because they've got another new manager that's that's come in. Their results with them around around their region have have definitely improved. So it's it's not it's not straightforward as I said by any means. And when you factor in everything that's going on behind the scenes with the UAE, that we really it's it's a difficult one to pinpoint where they're going to be say in in what is it seven months time eight months time. Yeah, uh, you know, with with the UAE national team, I think people are are more familiar with players such as you know, Mabkut and um, uh, Omar Abdul Rahman, who doesn't really seem to play anymore nowadays. What's what are the kind of key players now with this national team? Well, you've got the key player probably is still Mabkut, just in terms of he's the record goal scorer. He scored eighty one goals, I think it is. Now he he's thirty two. Usually, when he plays well, the UAE tend to play well. And the issue with Ali Mabkut, unfortunately, towards the latter stages of World Cup qualification for 2022, he wasn't really performing. Then he wasn't at the Gulf Cup, where the UAE didn't do well at all. They finished bottom of the group um, just after the, the Qatar World Cup there. Mabkut wasn't there for technical reasons, where they, was the official reason for him not being there. So he was a big miss, and the UAE struggled to, to really find someone who could fill that void up front. They've certainly got young, talented players around Mabkut who will play on the wings or maybe play as a number 10. But it really is, if Mabkut's not firing, they, they struggle to score goals or struggle to maybe 
have someone in his place that can open up space and occupy defenders that other players can come in. But of those players that I'm talking about, in terms of the really exciting ones coming through, you've got Hareb Abdallah and Yahya Al-Kassani, both wingers, both play at Shabab Al-Akhli, who have just won the, the UAE Championship. Um, Hareb Abdallah, is, he's only 20 now. He's, he's an electric wide man who's got so much pace, so much trickery. Um, he excelled. He scored the winner against South Korea towards the end of qualification for the 2022 World Cup. And he really was the standout player in the playoff last June in Qatar against Australia, which, which the UAE lost 2-1. But he, he was the standout. And a lot of the Australian players in the mix zone afterwards were saying to me that they couldn't believe how good he was. So you've got him and Al-Kassani. Al-Kassani is another uh, skillful winger who can bring a little bit of X factor. And then you've got Ali Saleh, who plays for Al-Wassal and is now their captain. Ali's very, very young, early 20s as well. So you've got a few guys there that can bring the excitement, but it's it's really finding not someone to replace Mabkut, but maybe someone who can take the burden off him if he's not performing. And then if I'm looking through the rest of the team, the defence has been a, a real issue. And you've got full-back position, especially left-back. The UA have struggled uh, for a good few years now to fill that. And then at centre-back, Walid Abbas, who's been their captain most recently. Walid is 37. Um, so he's certainly not really one for the next cycle. But then again, circumstances may dictate that he still needs to be in there. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot that needs, a lot of surgery that needs to go on in the team. They need to bring through some new blood. And whether or not they're going to have enough time, because you, obviously you've got 2026 World Cup qualification and everything, um, whether or not they're going to have enough time by the time the Asian Cup rumbles around, I'm, I'm not overly sure on that. So, you know, obviously you've already mentioned, you know, a lot of changes. Um, what do you think is going to happen then for this national team? What are your predictions? What are your expectations uh, for this Asian Cup? The players that you guys have, players that you brought in, as you mentioned. It, it, honestly, it, it's tough. I know it's not very helpful for the podcast, but it is tough to, to say where they are at the minute because of the they don't have a manager in place, which which is going to be the next most important decision made. Um. They want to get someone in relatively quickly, but again, they need to sort out the... the... Who are the kind of uh, candidates for the job? They don't... Now, this is speaking to, to the guys at the FA last week. They don't have anyone in place because they need to get the, the, the board situation sorted out. They need to get the new president in place, and then obviously everything falls into line after that. But from speaking to them around the, the draw a couple of weeks ago in Doha... You know, it, they they want it to be someone who has experience of golf football, and ideally it would be someone with experience of UAE football. But that doesn't always play out that way. But if you're looking forward to the tournament, you know the UAE have finished in the the last four. They've been semi finalists the last two editions. Obviously, 2015 was their. I, I'm not a fan of the phrase, but it was their so-called golden generation where they had Omar Abdul Rahman and Amir Abdul Rahman and Ali Mabkut and Ahmed Khalil. Um, that was that still remains their best performance on foreign soil. That was Australia, which will be a lot different to Qatar, obviously. Um, but I could see, you know, getting getting through the group, and then maybe I think they've they've got the runner up in in Group A, which could be China, Lebanon, or Tajikistan. Um, 
maybe you would think that they have a chance then of they would fancy their chances going through to the quarterfinals, but I think it might be Japan lying in wait for them, which is which is no easy task. But let's just see where they'll be maybe in a few months' time once we get through to September, the next FIFA dates, and then we can have an idea of who's in place and what sort of squad and what sort of direction they want to take the team in. Fantastic, John. I appreciate your time uh, for coming on the podcast again um, and always your insight. Thank you. And I hope everything's a little bit clearer by then. I can give you a bit more <laughs> of a, an insight. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate that. All the best. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank Take you. care. I'm joined by Tobias Susser from Offside.hk, uh, covering Hong Kong football. Uh, how are you doing, Tobias? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate the time. We had you on before, of course, during the last uh, qualification run in the second round. Duran played against Hong Kong. Uh, I think it was 2 0 and is a 3 1 victory uh, away from home, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, speak to us uh, about your, your own website, first of all, and what you do for Hong Kong football. Yeah, so we have been running offsite.hk for almost uh, 10 years now. We started in 2014. And yeah, I have been covering all the ups and downs of Hong Kong football. Um, we had, uh, of course, now a very quiet period uh, during the last uh, three years uh, uh, in COVID. Um, but uh, yeah, it's picking up again. And of course, now um, we're also preparing uh, for the Asian Cup. I actually just booked my tickets today. Um, so I will be at least seeing two games of the Hong Kong team. Um, and yeah, of course, we will also be covering this uh, on our podcast and then uh, on our website, offsite.hk. Fantastic. Be sure to check that one out. Um, okay, speak to us about the Hong Kong national team. Again, since, since we last spoke, um, what has changed now? Is there any improvements? Is there any differences since then? Of course, the very big change is the new head coach uh, that came in, uh, Johan Anderson. Uh, who replaced Mixo Patelainen. Uh, he had quite a difficult start, I would say, uh, because he had to kind of get to know the team during the uh, COVID. And at that time, uh, the league didn't play regularly in Hong Kong. Uh, there were no friendly games that could be organized because of all these quarantine restrictions. So he had quite a difficult time. Uh, he had to still finish then um, the, world, the the Asian Cup qualifies as well, but did this actually quite successfully. And I think the biggest change so far we have seen is his different approach with the team. So um, he started on one hand to pick younger players into the team, a kind of uh, uh, starting a transformation uh, and also changing a little bit the expectations how Hong Kong would play. So in the past, it was usually parking the bus and hope not to concede any goal. Uh, this was also, you know, our approach, if you remember, uh, at the 2 nil loss to uh, Iran uh, back in, in 2019, uh, where they actually held up uh, quite well for a while. Um, but under uh, Johan Anderson uh, now, it is changing that at least the team tries to play forward. Uh, of course, there are some limitations there in, in terms of the quality that they, that they have available to them uh, with uh, uh, good strikers. Um, but they are trying to to score, and I think this is like the kind of uh, yeah the biggest excitement as well that that now fans have been seeing. And you know, again, uh, since that um, last World Cup uh, qualification, um, you know, I'm sure uh, they'll want to to push on and do well in the Asian Cup. Uh, what are your thoughts on this group uh, with Iran, UAE, and Palestine? 
So it's definitely a tough group uh, for Hong Kong. Of course, there were some hopes, uh, to be fair, that Hong Kong would be drawn into a group with China um, because this would kind of create all the, the excitement and the tension that, that uh, would have uh, added to it. Um, but I think all that said, uh, of course, uh, Hong Kong does not have a good uh, track record against um, teams from West Asia and Middle East. Uh, so it, there are usually very tough games for them. Um, but then all that said, um, Hong Kong does not have much to lose. Um, I think there is generally right this, this uh, yeah, just a, a satisfaction that they are at the Asian Cup uh, for the first time in 55 years. Um, and uh, as such, there's no pressure on them. And that hope, hopefully right, uh, gives them... Um, you know, some bit of a, an underdog uh, uh, power in, in this uh, group stage as well. So who are the, the kind of key players for Hong Kong this time around? Uh, who do you think is we should look out for? Right. So definitely no big names in there, um, but there are a few um, younger players that have been coming through um, in the last few years, uh, especially Matthew Orr, who is like a a Hong Konger of um, half New Zealand uh, uh, descent. Uh, so he is currently playing in uh, China League One uh, as a striker, um, and really has some quality in the last in the last third of the pitch. And this is something that Hong Kong has been missing for a while. Um, we also still have on the horizon two players that might join us on time for the Asian Cup. On one hand, this is Everton Camargo. He is a Brazilian player who has been now in Hong Kong for seven years. And once they have been in Hong Kong for seven years, uh, they could qualify to uh, get the Hong Kong passport uh, for naturalization. Um, he is quite interesting because he has been joined uh, top scorer of the Hong Kong Premier League, uh, scoring 17 goals. Uh, he's a very fast player um, and would be greatly helpful uh, for the attack. Uh, particularly also when when they try to play counter-attack. And also Hong Kong has been looking into uh, getting a passport for a half Hong Kong, half Nigerian player who is just 19 years old. Uh, he currently plays in the third division of uh, the German football pyramid uh, for FC Ingolstadt. He currently also plays mostly for their uh, under-19 team. Um, but uh, yeah, because he has been growing up in Hong Kong, um, ha has uh, one parent of him is is also from Hong Kong, um, so the team is also looking very actively in uh, naturalizing him uh, in the coming months. Uh, so yeah, these these are the additional prospects. Um, other than this, uh, familiar faces are still uh, some of these uh, defenders that we have. Uh, two of them playing currently in uh, the Chinese Super League. Um, so in the in the highest uh, top division of China, which definitely is is better quality than uh, what uh, you get in Hong Kong. Um, but you would see compared to the previous years that the Hong Kong team generally has been getting younger and also with less naturalized players that are the, the kind of key performers in the team um, as of now. So as a result then, um, what are the expectations for the Asian Cup? Uh, what do you think um, you, you can you can expect to see from this uh, national team? So as I've mentioned, uh, the style of the team has changed a bit uh, compared to the the previous years uh, under Miksopatelainen as well, and then Kim Pangon before that and Gary White very shortly. Um, 
So I, I believe the team also would need to recognize that uh, against uh, opponents like Iran, uh, especially, uh, they might need to rethink this approach. Um, so I, I would uh, imagine that they will prepare also a more defensive strategy um, for uh, this game. Um, of course, I think UAE, even though they are they're also not as great as they or as good as they, they used to be in, in recent years, at least, um, um, it would still be expected that the opening game against UAE and also against Iran um, will definitely be very difficult and we would expect to lose these two games. Uh, and I think it really comes down for Hong Kong uh, to the last game against Palestine. And I think also there they might see their chances for a possible upset. Um, and given the system of this uh, 2014 Asian Cup, right, uh, that could go as far as actually uh, getting you to the group stages, uh, to the to the um, round of 16 as well. So I think, um, yeah, this is more or less the, the more realistic uh, plan or hopes that we can have. Uh, kind of holding up uh, as much as possible, conceding less goals against Iran and UAE, and then hoping for the best uh, in the final match against Palestine. Um, yeah, and then we will be, we'll see. <laughs> so would you be, can you give us a, a prediction for the, for, the, for, the, for the group then? What do you think is going to happen in your mind? Um, so of course, given uh, the odds, uh, Hong Kong, would most likely finish last. Um, ideally, either getting away with one point uh, in the last game um, against Palestine. Um, if I would imagine the best case scenario, uh, then of course the hopes would be Hong Kong would finish third. Uh, but of course, no matter what happens, and I think this is this is the interesting thing I mentioned before. Um, there is no pressure on the team, and that might play a difference uh, in the end uh, because if Hong Kong finishes last, no one will complain. Um, and uh, if Hong Kong finishes third, it will be a huge story. So uh, maybe this gives them a little bit more motivation as well uh, during the tournament. Tobias, thanks a lot for the end for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully, have have you on again for the for the Asian Cup. And all the best. Take care. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Uh, my pleasure. We are joined by Basil Mikdadi from Football Palestine, a good friend of the podcast. He's been on Spaces before on Twitter. We've had him on uh, to speak about the national team as well uh, with Totally Football Show. Uh, how are you doing, Basil? Doing great, Arya. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Speak to us about your um, your website, Football Palestine. Uh, it's been around for quite a long time. Um, what what kind of work do you guys do there? Yeah, so um, Football Palestine in one iteration or another has been around for 15 years, which is crazy to say. Um, started as a really modest blog. Um, I started by myself and a, a friend of mine, and it really started as like a ranting of two fans. And the great thing about the experience is as the national, as the Palestinian national team improved and got better, so did our coverage, so did um, the, the entity itself. So we started off as a, as a blog spot, if anybody out there remembers those. Uh, and then now we've become a proper website. So you can find us at footballpalestine.com. Uh, we've got the Twitter, which is our most active uh, social media platform. We're on the other social media platforms as well. Um, and we've recently launched uh, subscriptions through Substack, uh, so our premium subscribers get even more uh, analysis. But yeah, you know, we I think we're in the right place at the right time. Um, and the inflection point for us was 2014, when Palestine managed to qualify for their first Asian Cup, the the one down in Australia. 
and it, we've just gone from strength to strength with coverage and interest. And uh, yeah, I was at um, the, the Asian Cup in Australia and the past one in UAE, and I'm hoping to be uh, at the uh, 2023 one that's going to be played in 2024, which is not confusing at all. Fantastic. Make sure you, you're on your own social media at uh, Football Palestine, right? That's correct, yeah. That's right. Uh, and you also have covered Iranian football in the past. You've covered them for the World Cups in 2018 and 2022 with the Totally Football Show, as I mentioned. Uh, Give us a little bit about that background. What did you do for them? Yeah, you know, I think um, when you, if you cover any national team in Asia, you're going to end up with a lot of uh, specific knowledge about teams that in a global sense don't get um, a lot of coverage, shall we say. Iran, although they are one of the big dogs of uh, Asian football, obviously won the Asian Cup three times, have been to the last uh, three World Cups, uh, five World Cup qualifications, no, sorry, six World Cup qualifications overall. Um, you know, not a, not a lot of people know about them. I think through covering Palestinian football, I got to know uh, the Iranian national team quite well. I've gotten to know other national teams, but I took quite an interest in, in Iran because, um, yeah, there's something about the, uh, the kind of football Iran produces. Uh, it's technical, but there's also a physical element to it. There's, you know, the passions of, of the fans, whether it's in the Azadi Stadium or if they're traveling uh, abroad, like, you know, at, um, the Asian Cup in Australia and the UAE, I saw Iranian fans that, you know, made the, the national team one of the best um, supported teams. So I just kind of um, grew to admire that. And I, 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 I pretty much tell people that yeah, outside of Palestine, the, the team in Asia I enjoy watching the most um, for a multitude of reasons. Sometimes it's the football, sometimes it's just the drama surrounding the, the Iranian national team happens to be Iran. So when the, um, when the, uh, when the group was drawn and uh, Iran landed in the same, um, in the same group as Palestine, I was actually very happy to, to see that. And, and you, you covered that for the Totally Football show as well. Um, what, how did that go? How did that come about? When, when did you do that? And how, how was that kind of prayer program with them? Yeah, I think the the folks at the Totally Football Show was, were looking for people with kind of this like niche, intimate knowledge of of national teams that don't get coverage. Um, so they bought me on in 2018. It was quite expensive. They bought me on. I did Saudi Arabia. I did Egypt. I did Iran. Uh, and yeah, you know, I won't claim to be um, an expert by any stretch of the imagination. I think there, there's so many passionate Iranian football fans that know uh, more than I do, but I like to think of myself as maybe the um, uh, maybe the best non-Iranian Iranian football expert, if that um, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, and I would agree with that as well. Um, Basil, let's speak about the Palestine national team. They are in Group C with Iran, UAE, and Hong Kong. Um, what are your your thoughts on this national team? Uh, obviously, they've been in good form. In recent, in the last year or so, um, and you know they've got some talented players here and there. They've got, for example, they got Odai Odai Dabag. Is that right? Is that how you say his name? Because yeah. of Portugal. Um, what What are your thoughts of this national team uh, just now? Generally positive. Um, positive since Makram Dabub, the current head coach, took over in April 2021. So, uh, believe it or not, he's the most tenured uh, manager in this group, which is really difficult to uh, to believe, but so is the nature of Asian football. 
Um, since he took over, I think there was a real sea change. Uh, almost leaves us kicking ourselves that we didn't make the change earlier, because I think if we did, we could have rescued our uh, 2022 World Cup qualification campaign. Uh, and seeing like the quality of the teams that participated in that third round, I'm thinking of the the teams that were in Iran's group, right? There was kind of like a fight not to finish in third place in that group between Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and UAE. I feel that our team could have easily matched if not exceeded those standards. Uh, and I say that with all due respect to all the teams that were involved in in qualifying. Um, so I'm, I'm generally positive. Once Makram Dabu took over, you know, the reason why we weren't in the third round wasn't because we didn't get results against the, 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 the pot one and pot two teams. We did. We got a win against Uzbekistan to open qualifying. We got a draw against Saudi Arabia that if you go back and look at the highlights, we could easily won by not just the odd goal, but maybe even two or three if we took our chances. Um, the reason we didn't qualify, though, is because we lost to Singapore and to Yemen, um, and a lot of that has to do with the style of football we played under our former manager, Nuruddin Wilid Ali. Uh, very, very negative football tactics. If anybody um, remembers how like Northern Ireland played under Michael O'Neill, which for some reason won a lot of plaudits, but was absolutely horrible to watch, that's how we played. And you can get results playing against teams that are um, at your level or a little bit better than you playing that way. But Asian football will not forgive you if you play that way against uh, the weaker teams, because that, you know, in order to actually beat them, you need to um, really put your imprint on games and, and show your superiority. And we didn't do that against Singapore or, or Yemen. Once the coaching change was made and Makram Dabuk came, uh, came along, we blew them out of the water. We beat Singapore 4-0 and um, Yemen 3-0 to close out qualifying. Uh, the Arab Cup, was a bit of a mixed bag. We didn't have a full squad because we have so many players um, uh, playing abroad. Uh, but you know, when when it came when we regrouped again last year to qualify for the Asian Cup, uh, we had close to a full strength squad, and we just I think we were the best team uh, in standalone Asian Cup qualifying. Mongolia gave us a hard time in the first game, but then five nil against Yemen, four nil against Philippines. Yeah, you know, in, in competitive matches, those last two World Cup qualifiers and these uh, standalone Asian Cup qualifiers, those are five games, uh, five wins, zero goals conceded, 17 goals scored. So um, we're, we're in a good vein of form. We're not playing a lot of games uh, since Asian Cup qualifying last year. Uh, we've only played one game, which was a friendly against Bahrain. Uh, under underman squad again, but we managed to be Bahrain 2-1. So I'm, I'm really feeling confident about where this team is going right now. Yeah, good results as well against, against the Philippines and Yemen as well. Um, looking at this squad then, um, who would you say are the kind of the key players for Palestine uh, for, the, for the Asian Cup? Yeah, so um, I'll start with the obvious. I think, about, I think uh, he might even be on the radar of some uh, Team Meli fans because he's playing in the same league as Mehdi Tarimi. And, uh, you know, he, he went to the league. You know, Tarimi went to Portugal. He was, I believe... I think he just turned 27. So he was something of a, a late bloomer when he went. And I remember like the talk around Tarami was like, oh, he finally moved, but there wasn't a lot of high hopes for him. And then he developed quite quickly with Rio Ave and got his move to uh, to Porto. And I was hoping that this would be the kind of path that um, Ade Debar would take. And I thought maybe like Porto would sell Tarami and bring Debar was, was what I was kind of hoping for. 
Uh, and Dabalik, you know, he did very well in his first season. He didn't make his debut until like a month and a half into the season because of visa issues. He didn't have his work permit. Um, they, Aroka, the, the team he plays for, barely survived. Um, his four goals and assists in that first season was a solid contribution. It helped them survive the drop. The second season, they had their best ever run in the League Cup, the best ever run in the Cup. Uh, they qualified for the Europa League last year. Uh, he's their leading scorer across all the competitions. I believe 11 goals this season, despite a contractual dispute, which has kept them out of the squad, despite the fact that, you know, in January, they tried to twist his arm to, to renew with them with a huge buyout clause. And he said no. And he is um, going to Charleroi in the, um, in the off season where he will be uh, a teammate of another Iranian player. Um, so I think the back for sure is the danger man. Uh, you look at his stats with the national team, 10, 10 goals, five assists in something like 28 appearances, 27, 28 appearances. So uh, he's the guy who's going to make everything tick and attack. And then the other player that I would really mention is the goalkeeper, uh, Rami Hamadi. And for my money, uh, he is one of the best goalkeepers in Asia. And I recently looked at, he's played 36 games for the national team, uh, 20 clean sheets. He's conceded 25 goals. Uh, and these are numbers that, if you kind of compare them with Berenbant, who I think is is up there as one of Asia's best, they they mirror each other. They're almost exactly the same. And if you consider that, you know, Berenbant is playing with a uh, much stronger team in front of him, it just shows how impressive Rami Hamadi's numbers are. So, you know, these are the two players that I would um, immediately pick out. Uh, but there are other players that are are similarly key. Uh, the right back, Mustafa Al-Battat, and the midfielder, Mohamed uh, Rashid, who scored a fantastic goal at Education City Stadium the last time Palestine played there, uh, are also two players that are very important in how we build our attacking patterns of play. Appreciate that. Um, let's go on to Group C. With, with obviously the Asian Cup, uh, as, as I mentioned, UAE, Hong Kong as well, joining Iran. Um, what do you think of it? Do you think uh, Palestine have a, have a good chance of qualifying the second round from this group? Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so uh, look, I, I don't think it's a secret anymore. Um, you know, the coach tried to walk it back, but I know for a fact behind closed doors, he said this, his assistant before the draw, uh, sort of had this opponent circled and we all wanted Hong Kong who, you know, I think out of all the 24 teams that are participating, that's the biggest surprise here. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't want to disrespect anyone. We were once that team that was just happy to be there. That was pretty much our 2015 Asian cup qualifying campaign. Uh, but, you know, the results speak for themselves. They're not a team that um, is going to be able to score a lot of goals against you. And they, do struggle against a lot of middle tier opponents. I mean, in qualifying, they lost 4-0 to, to India. Uh, and obviously there's gonna be a huge step up in, in quality when they face us, the UAE and Iran. Uh, so happy to get Hong Kong. I think, you know, if everything goes haywire in the first two matches, we might be able to rescue qualification in that last game with, with a win and a, and a couple of goals. Because as we saw in the last edition, um, three points and a decent goal difference can get you through to the round of 16. So I'm confident uh, just by the sheer fact that we have Hong Kong in the group. Now, things got even better for us because the, my analysis, the analysis of the coaching staff was the weakest two teams uh, in pot two were China and UAE. Uh, China, because obviously football, COVID, things haven't been going so well there organizationally over the past couple of years. 
and UAE because you know they're really at the end of a of a generation. There's no two ways about it, and they're going to make a coaching change. Rodolfo Arena is not going to have his contract renewed. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I respect what UAE has done with this golden generation, um, especially Ali Mahfoud scored eighty something goals. Uh, scoring goals at the international level is never easy, but. You know, maybe the last time we played, which was during um, World Cup qualifying for the World Cup in Russia, I would have said, oh, yeah, I really wish we had, you know, this player and this player and this player on our side. Now I, I look at their squad and I'm not at all envious. And I think if um, Emirati fans are quite honest with themselves, they would look at our squad and kind of covet some of our players because older players play in the UAE. We've got players like the Bath playing in, in, uh, in Europe, uh, others that play in Egypt uh, and other parts of the Arab world. So I'm also happy to have um, the UAE. And as far as Iran is concerned, look, one of the big boys of Asian football. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying it could have been worse. It could have been Japan. Uh, but that doesn't mean Iran is going to be an easy, uh, easy team to face. Um, you know, you look at the statistics, Iran does not lose games at the group stage of an Asian Cup. The last time that happened was in 1996. Um, and if you look at the last three editions, it's been near perfect. They've conceded one goal that was back to in 2011 against Iraq um, in their opening group stage game. And since then, they haven't conceded a goal. And the only uh, result that wasn't a win was a draw in their last group stage game, also against Iraq, which was functionally a dead rubber. They just needed the point to, to, win, the, um, to win the group. So yeah, that, that's what, you know, when we face Iran, I'm not confident that we can get a win. I would say chances are probably 70% that Iran wins that game, 20% uh, draw, uh, and 10% Palestine win. Uh, but you never know. I think it's good that we face Iran in the opening match because that's where you can possibly catch a giant asleep, right? Uh, and also, if you know it stays 0-0 for a while, Iran might say, okay, well, let's take a point from this game and then focus on the, the games that we have going forward. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting group. I think it's, um, you know, you can never underestimate. I think especially with the new, um, you know, how much these kind of lesser known national teams in Asia are growing. Um, definitely, I think this this edition of the Asian Cup is going to be a little bit more competitive than it has ever been. Just because I think everyone's growing as a, as a, as a, as a nation, you know, every national team in Asia is becoming a lot better. So I'm excited to see how how these countries get on. Um Lastly, then, what are the expectations for Palestine? You know, obviously, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to say, you know, I'm, I think you would obviously say yourself, definitely we're going to win the Asian Cup, right? But what are the expectations for this uh, national team, and what do you think that you want to see them take away uh, moving forward, um, going into the qualifications for the World Cup? Yeah, I think let's start with just reasonable expectations, right? And we can sort of say what the upper limit is. Um, reasonable expectations is to get at least four points from this group. And if you look at our, and I'm not a big fan of taking historical performance and trying to extrapolate future results. But if you look at historic performance and try to extrapolate, you can see a way where we could get four points, uh, a win against uh, Hong Kong and a draw against, uh, against UAE or perhaps even a draw against Iran. So I think the, the bare minimum is to get four points. That would be like a 99% guarantee of passing into the into the um, knockout stage for the first time ever. If you look at our progress um, over the last 10 years, we've never peaked at the right time, right? So 
you know, in 2014, we qualified for the Asian Cup. We skyrocketed up the um, the rankings. We showed up at the Asian Cup, disorganized. There was a coaching change because the FA fell out with Jamal Mahmoud, who led us to the Asian Cup. And we were just really happy to be there. I mean, the games were were horrible. Um, we fell out of the top 16, which meant we were a pot three team for the um, uh, for the World Cup uh, qualifying for Russia. Uh, obviously, we, we bore the brunt of that. We got a difficult group. The same thing happened for um, this this past cycle, which is we reached 73rd in the world. We were eighth uh, best in Asia. Uh, the draw wasn't kind to us at the uh, at the Asian Cup. We made an unnecessary coaching change as well. We stuck with the same coach, uh, and on top of that, we got a tough uh, draw having Saudi Arabia and Uzbekistan in in round two. Uh, I'm hoping that this time around we come in uh, actually peaking, uh, and we can use this as a um, as a springboard going uh, going forward. So, I think four points is completely within the realm of, of possibility. Now, if you look at what I think the best case scenario for us is, um, it's to actually get the second place. So, if we can get second place, the way the the way the draw sort of unfolds is that the second place team from our group will play the second place team from Qatar's group. So that's Qatar, China, Lebanon, Tajikistan, and that's you know that that gives us I think an opportunity to maybe even think of like. Maybe we can get to a quarterfinal, which would be huge, right? And then once you're in the quarterfinals, you're only a couple of games away, and maybe some sort of miracle can happen. But let's not get into that um, calculus. So yeah, I think getting out of the group is what we need to do. Maybe we the stretch target is a quarterfinal, uh, and then just to take that experience into World Cup qualifying, we have to get into round three now. It's an expanded uh, round three with 18 teams. Uh, we just have to finish in the top two of our group. We're guaranteed to be a pot two team this time around for World Cup qualifying. So, you know, we we have to, we actually have to do something because I think the peaks of Palestinian football have gone unnoticed because we didn't peak at an Asian Cup or we didn't peak at a World Cup qualification. And if you look at our neighbors, um, they've all done it. You know, even Lebanon, who, uh, you know, all due respect to them, I don't think is a, is is at our level. I think they're a level below got into the third round of World Cup qualifying twice for, for 2014 and for, for this past World Cup. Uh, Syria has done it as well. Jordan has done it as well, also at the Asian Cup. So we need to kind of make that breakthrough where people say like, oh yeah, this is the year where like Palestinian football properly arrived and it wasn't, oh, they were ranked 70 something at some point in the cycle. It was, no, they, they did something at an Asian Cup. And if we can take that into World Cup qualifying, that would be great. So I, I feel like in a sense of, uh, you know, there's positivity with this national team. Um, you seem very positive. Um, then as a result of that, give me your prediction for this uh, Asian Cup. Uh, my prediction is, I think, uh, it's hard to predict because we're a couple of months out. Um, I do think that Palestine will play Iran very hard. Um but to get a to get a win requires a little bit of luck, right? It requires Rami Hamadi to have an amazing game, um, and then maybe I don't know. Iran has an off day, and we can get a win. But I, I really think that that's probably a step too far. It probably will be a well fought game that Iran uh, finds a way to win in. Uh, but I think even in 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 potential defeat, if we can change the opinions of some neutrals uh, of the Iranian fans of how they perceive Palestinian football. Then that would be that would be huge. Uh, I think we can beat UAE, um, and I think we can beat Hong Kong quite easily. So I think we finished second place in this group, 
Um, and then I'll stop there. I won't make any any other predictions past that. But I think we can finish second place um, in this group. And you know, the important thing for from a personal perspective for me is, I think the absolute rock bottom we hit as a national team was back in 2011. Uh, we played Iran in a friendly in Tehran. We lost 7-0. Um, but that defeat uh, caused the FA to actually take some actions. They appointed Jamal Mahmoud. We improved steadily. And out of that defeat came our first Asian Cup uh, qualification. And you sort, sort of saw, although it was another friendly, so I don't want to read in too much into the result, you sort of saw the progress the next time the teams met, which was just before the 2019 Asian Cup, and Palestine got a 1-1 draw against Iran. Um, so, so the progress is quite tacit, it's there. Um, but I think a lot of Iranian fans still remember the 7-0 and still see us as that team that lost 7-0. So if we can also change perceptions amongst Iranian fans, that would also be a, a huge win as well. Basil, I appreciate your time uh, for coming on the podcast. Uh, good to have you on. Good to hear your insight on the Palestine national team. A true expert on it. And um, again, we'll hopefully have you on again when the Asian Cup starts. Yeah, looking forward to it. Hopefully we can um, get together again once the Asian Cup draws a little bit closer. Perfect. Appreciate it, man. Thanks again to Basil, Tobias and John for their time and great insight into the respective national teams. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Remember, if you wish to donate to Gold Bazan, our Patreon is now active at patreon.com forward slash Gold Bazan. Check out our social media at Gold Bazan and our website goldbazanpodcast.com. We're back very soon covering the end of the domestic season in Iran. For now, take care and see you soon. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray from ESPN and EA Sports. You're listening to Gold Bazan Podcast.